Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome once again, everyone, to a Baseball America podcast. I'm your suddenly regular host, John Manuel. My co-host today, Ben Badler. Ben, great to have you here back in the uh, in the podcast nook again. We've reclaimed it from Jim Schoenard, who's now moved into the regular pit over here. Yeah, we've seized the room. whole... We've seized, we've seized this little cubbyhole back here, and we've got a special kind of international-themed podcast for you today. Uh, it's early March, and uh, we've got uh, international signings that you've been able to read from Ben on uh, BaseballAmerica.com with Juan Duran signing with the Cincinnati Reds. We're going to talk a little bit about that and about the mysterious Edward Salcedo, the big name out there still in the international signing, um, I guess, period, who's still available for teams. Uh, we'll talk also a little bit about the Olympic qualifier that started today, March 7th, halfway around the world in Taiwan. The United States already qualified for the 2008 Olympics, uh, but there are eight teams, eight countries trying to make three to, to get those three final spots for the 08 Olympics in Beijing. And we'll talk a little spring training, minor leagues, uh, all that kind of good stuff. And we'll take your emails at podcast at baseballamerica.com, keeping up with our New Year's resolution of answering more and more emails at that address, podcast at baseballamerica.com. So send those in for next week. But then uh, let's start right off uh, with the big news this week. I guess it was about a week ago and he officially signed, but the Cincinnati Reds uh, officially announced the signing of, uh, of Juan Duran. It just came across transactions as, a, as a, an outfielder Juan Duran signed. But we heard the rumors that this guy had gotten a big seven-figure bonus. And then the more we dug into it, and really more you dug into it, I, I think I made two calls and you made about eight but the more we dug into it, the more we found, A, this is a pretty intriguing prospect the Reds have on their hands, and B, the story behind him signing is unique and really some kudos going to the Reds' assistant GM, Bob Miller. Right. This uh, just came across our transaction log as the Reds signed a 16-year-old outfielder, and we looked into it a little more, heard some rumors that he might be getting a seven-figure bonus, like you mentioned, and as it turned out, uh, the Reds ended up setting a, a franchise record for an international bonus by giving $2 million to to Juan Duran, who is an outfielder, probably going to end up as a corner outfielder, although a couple uh, international scouting directors I talked to said he has the speed right now to stay in center field, but he is probably somewhere in the 6'4 to 6'6 range. Hard to really get a right. good read on his height, uh, although if you look at major leaguers, it's hard to really understand what their heights are just from looking at the... <laughs> yeah, you're right. I mean, I think reliable uh, height and weight information is kind of an oxymoron. Correct. Very but, true. Uh, he's, he probably, from what it sounds like, he could probably gain an easy... Uh, I don't know about easy, but it sounds like he's going to fill out another 30 to 40 pounds by the time he uh, really fills out his frame. So uh, the, the speed probably, who knows if it'll stay there. But right now, the, the power projection for him is... I talked to two different international scouting directors who say that down the line his future power projects as an 80. It's pretty uh, which huge. Is the maximum power you can have on the 20 to 80 scouting scale. Big, big bodied, but also some polish to the offense, it sounds like. I mean, the, the, the Reds uh, scouting director, Chris Buckley, talked about that a little bit with me, kind of comparing him to Alex Rios, uh, who also played center field early in his career. But that's what made the Blue Jays take Alex Rios was 
projection, but also some polish to the swing. And it's not like Durant has a little bit of and to get two million dollars, you can't just be projection. He has some present ability. It sounds like, and the, it sounds like the other guys that you talk to. I talked to one other international scouting director. You talked to several others as well. Who everybody liked this guy, and he was a guy, right? I mean, this was not a shot in the dark. The Reds were taking right. It sounded like he was going to be one of the top guys for July second. But what the Reds realized was that he had, in which we go into further explanation on our on our website and on the blogs. Probably take me another. 10 to 15 minutes to extend the podcast here, just kind of explain the rules. But. Yep, the update is an awesome update. If you've you got to go to the prospect blog and get the more on Juan Duran uh, uh, update, which is good stuff. But, but go ahead. But basically, Bob Miller, who's the Reds' assistant general manager, who worked back in the minor league office back in the 1980s when they were uh, writing some of these international rules, and his, uh, it, so he's intimate, intimately familiar with some of these rules. Normally, a guy has to be of, of, of age. By the time uh, before the end of the international signing period, which is basically the end of August, yeah, in August. But Duran was born on September second. But what they realized was that they could put him on a team, and if if they assign him to the roster in Billings up in the Pioneer League, because he turned seventeen before the end of his of that season, Uh, this in two thousand eight now, which would be his first professional season. So it's kind of a rule. I'm not sure if I necessarily call it a loophole, right? But it's just it's the rule. So I don't really. I, it sounds like most teams didn't know that that was the rule, and it sounds like his agent didn't even know that was the rule. <laughs> That's the amazing part. So usually the agent would want to take advantage of that kind of thing. And another thing is that the three other rookie leagues all do end at the end of August. Appy, Gulf Coast, Arizona. You have this one outlier in the Pioneer, which also is kind of rookie, but kind of short season. You know, it's kind of a little bit more advanced than the. Happy, so uh, kind of all these little factors came together, but I think the main key was that the Reds had Bob Miller involved in this process and kind of basically vetting all these guys that they were trying to pursue for 2008, uh, July 2nd period, and then going over that paperwork, he found it, and it's just a, a really good situation for the Reds that they knew the player already, they'd scouted him heavily enough, that they were able to take advantage of this opportunity that they saw the other clubs didn't see. So this is, I think this could be a really big win, at least perception-wise at the very least. It's a big win, I think, for the Reds as an organization that does have a lot of top-end talent and I think has had some good drafts, first under Terry Reynolds, now under Chris Buckley. Uh, it's, a, it's an organization that I think Wayne Krivsky, you could argue, Ben, has done some different things at the, the big league level. He's really they've had huge roster churn in Cincinnati since he's been there. But the one thing that's consistently gotten better, I think, is the scouting and player development department. I think this is another sign that the Reds, there may not be a, a necessarily a clear plan at the big league level. It seems like they have one at the scouting and player development level, though. Right, if you look at their organizational rankings, I forget where exactly they ranked them. Uh, Pretty the high. System. They ended up four, I think. I think they, yeah, I think they did. So now now if you're talking about the Reds, who, you know, no. Typically, they, they're not a team that's going to invest a lot of money. They're not in the international front. Right. But now, if you're if the Reds are going to start investing this kind of money in the Dominican Republic and making larger investments there, you can see the farm system improve even more uh, if they're going to get some of these big time international signs as well. Absolutely, and that's uh, that, that, you know all these teams whenever they make these big signings always talk about sending out a, a big uh, you know they're sending a signal to the Buscones and the agents down there and. Uh, you know, that's what you kind of have to do, I think. Uh, it seems like every team wants to do that. So, uh, you know, we talked about with this Marlon uh, Gonzalez, Smiley Gonzalez with the Nationals a couple years ago. 
I remember Gordash telling me that when the Brewers signed Rolando Pasquale three years ago. So uh, every club tries to do this, and uh, the latest of the Reds, but it sounds like the prospect that they try to make a statement for, Juan Duran is really a guy who has some significant upside and is very interesting to a lot of people in the industry. It's the Baseball America podcast, uh, along with Ben Badler. I'm John Manuel. Edward Salcedo, uh, Ben, is the other kind of big matzo ball, as Gary Seinfeld would say, that's still floating out there. Um, there are a lot of rumors in the Dominican Republic, a lot of articles that seem like a new one pops up every week, it seems like. Salcedo signs for $2.9 million. This was going on at the uh, Caribbean Series. Uh, rumors that he signed with the Indians. The Indians have categorically denied it. They won't comment any further to say that report is not true and we can't talk to you anymore about it. Uh, he's got a, a website, basically a MySpace-type page online, Edward Salcedo does. Among other things, he got uh, pictures of him at courtside of the Clippers game in December. It's Corey McGetty. That's right. That's right. Uh, you got a picture of him in front of the Boris Corporation who represents him. And you've got a logo of the Cleveland Indians underneath it. He wrote, Mia Kipo, so my team. So there's a lot of anecdotal evidence out there, but there's really no hard evidence, Ben, that he has got any kind of deal with the Indians. And he's almost like this. I mean, Jim Callis told me the other day he gets a question about Salcedo, at least a dozen questions about Salcedo in every chat that he does at ESPN.com. What's your take on Edward Salcedo? I mean, is he just almost like more myth than man these days? Uh, I mean, does it sound like he's better than... You know, Juan Duran, and is he going to get a million dollars more than Juan Duran got? Well, we know he's real now from photos having seen That's right. That's right. Some very um, strange pictures. Right. Uh, among them, a, a watch with enough bling that nearly uh, short-circuited my hard drive. The bling picture was pretty funny. Yeah. The picture of him with his, it looked like his hosts at, uh, in Orange County mm-hmm. was also very interesting. But the kids clearly uh, already, there's, there's money coming. The Boris Corporation is pretty confident, and it does sound like he was the consensus top guy last year, and they're still looking for top dollar. So now they've got a benchmark of $2 million for Duran. That might even help his bargaining position. It, cer- it certainly could. I mean, I don't think there's any doubt that he's in line to get a, a seven-figure bonus right now. And it sounds like, you know, there's some there's some mixed reviews on him in, in the international scouting community. He's a guy, obviously, a lot of people like. Uh, the word on him is just great body, uh, good hitter right now. Uh, there's some there's, there, are, there are some questions about the bat, though. So, but I mean, it's, I mean, he's still 16; doesn't turn 17 until uh, July, the end of July, I believe. That's amazing. So, you know, there's, there's still I, I, with with Duran, with Salcedo, with any of these kids. There's obviously a lot of excitement with, him, with these guys, and talk a lot about their ceilings. But obviously, they are, and the, the international sky directors too realize that they're still just 16 years old and. And so far away that there's just so much projection going on right now. That's the thing, you know. Uh, we were here in Durham last year. We saw uh, up close and personal a whole year Joel Guzman, and Joel Guzman was Edward Salcedo seven years ago. Mm-hmm. I mean, the guy was a 2.25 million dollar bonus. He was a shortstop. He's been on the Baseball America cover. He had 80 power. I mean, yeah, he had to move to third base down the line. This and that and the other, but. He was also a guy who came from a pretty educated family. There wasn't a big language barrier. He picked up English quickly. But despite the ability to make these adjustments to the culture early, Joel Guzman hasn't really made it. He's gotten to the big leagues, but he's certainly not the return on the $2.25 million investment yet for the for the Dodgers, and they traded him to the Devil Rays. And he wasn't even the main guy in the trade. So you just never know. There's so much projection on a 16-year-old guy. The amount of interest on the web that I've seen in Salcedo really seems unjustified. I mean, even Carlos Truenfell and Angel Villalona and Jesus Montero, some of the big signees uh, in 2006, 
none of those guys have really done anything yet. I mean, Villalona's got a lot of hype, and we're part of the production of that hype. And Montero has some hype. Truenfell certainly has some, but they really haven't done anything. They haven't played over a ball. I mean, it's just amazing how much uh, projection gets done. In the, they haven't done as much at a comparable level of experience as a lot of other prospects. Like Clayton Kershaw's done more at a ball level than uh, Carlos Truenfell. You know, just because it almost seems like because they're Latin American, the people almost are more tantalized by them. And because there's less information, people take the little bit of information that's out there and extrapolate more from it. Maybe that's, a, that's a great point, John. And that a lot of people, a lot of the international sky and directors will tell you too that you know they're not seeing these kids in a lot of organized games. They're getting them at workouts. Uh, they're getting they're seeing them for a short period of time. They're looking at their body. They're trying to project off the very limited amount of. Uh, observational uh, analysis that they're able to do on a lot of these players, so they're not they don't have as much information as someone who's scouting a kid in the United States. Where right. not only that, who's at least two years older, talking about the talking about high school kids and trying to protect right. them as well. So there's a lot more uh, involved in that. It is. It's it's based off a workout. You're talking about a guy off a workout, and uh, and that's just a different deal. It's it's different to project off of that. And you're you're talking about a 16 year old versus an 18 year old. So there's a lot of uh, question marks still with Edward Salcedo, but I'll just, you know, some of the things that drive the hype. Uh, Chris Klein, what he wrote last summer, he projects to be the complete package, plus range, arm strength, great hands to the position. Might have to move it third to, uh, to third base, but he's going to hit for average and power. That's a scouting director with an international, uh, with a National League club. So there's always been a pretty good enthusiasm for Edward Salcedo, and there certainly is out there in the blogosphere and from our readers, and we appreciate it. Uh, it's the Baseball America podcast. Let's take some quick uh, podcast questions here, Ben. We've actually got four, so let's go through them quickly before we wrap up the show. Uh, one from Brandon Alleman, uh, wondering how you feel about the current draft system and all their sports. Draft picks can be a great asset to a team because they can find they can draft a good player, but also because they can trade the picks. Uh, while this has worked great for my team, the Tigers, you know, where the guys drop because of signability, doesn't seem equitable. Also, if you want to talk about Rick Porcello, that would be great. Would he be an 80-80 like you said, Beckett was on your last podcast. Um, Brandon uh, asked about that. I don't, I don't think he actually uh, – I think putting Beckett on him is very difficult to do is basically I think what I said. Um, another thing that Beckett has that makes him Beckett is that he's got the nasty mean streak. Um, I just don't think it's reasonable to expect anyone to approximate Josh Beckett. He's already been an ace on two World Series championship teams, and he's like 27 years old. I mean, you know, it's a, that's too much to ask. That said – Porcello has the Beckett contract because apparently the, uh, the the Tigers thought he could be Beckett-esque. And David Chad was the Marlins' national cross-checker when they drafted Beckett. And he thinks Porcello is pretty close. So uh, we'll just throw that out there. That's Rick Porcello could be that good. But what do you think trading draft picks, uh, Ben? I, I've gone all over the map on this issue myself. I think the more I think about it, the more I think you should be able to trade draft picks. It just gives teams more flexibility. What's your What's your thought? See, I think I think it could work. I also think that when you make a change like that, there's going to be something that you're not going to expect to happen. A lot of unintended consequences I mean, always comes in. The, they changed the signing date this year for when uh, the signing deadline, and it ended up. I don't know whether they thought it would happen or not, but uh, we researched it, and at least the last ten years is the least amount of playing time that first round draft picks have seen in the last at least ten years. Uh, how much of an effect that has? Uh, who who really knows? Right. But 
just something something little like that. And then the the bonuses didn't go down. The, the bonus. whole reason they did it was to drive bonuses down, mm-hmm. and they got less development time, and they gave up more money. So they lost on both those ends in the short run. Right. I mean, the agents agents are pretty smart generally, so they're going to find a way to take advantage of that system somehow. Whether that means uh, forcing their forcing certain making their clients bonus demands known up front as they do right now anyway. I guess. Right. Right. But who knows how that'll. Oh, that would shape up. Now, I think you're right. I think uh, there is always a law of unintended consequences. And, you know, I do think you'd have to put in, like, a, in the NBA, it's the Ted Stepien rule. He was the Cleveland Cavaliers owner in the 80s who traded back to over and over again, traded first-round picks. I think a team shouldn't be allowed, really, in baseball, you should only be allowed to trade it, in my mind, like once every three years. But, I mean, how much value in a major league trade would a 10th round, an extra 10th round pick have? I think it'd be fun to have them. I think it would drive more interest in the draft and, we at Baseball America are all about interest in the draft. Uh, and Joe LaCage from Easton, Maryland, uh, thanks, us, as always, for the podcast. And he sent in several email uh, questions the last few weeks. Uh, last year, Alex Gordon's composite numbers were way off the expectations. He did, however, seem to turn a corner from June onward. Where do you see his career track taking him? Is it reasonable to still put forth the type of projections set forth a couple of years ago? Or do you see things last year that led you to believe he won't be as good as once thought? Um, he also asked, who was the BA Fantasy League? And the crazy thing is we don't have an active fantasy league, but I can tell you we're in a retro. Several of us, Will Lingo, Jim Callis, and myself, uh, are in a retro fantasy league, along with several former BA staffers, a couple uh, baseball prospectus writers. And Jim owns that league. Uh, we're playing 1996 right now, and I just made an embarrassing trade in that league, which I'm not going to recount. But Jim owns that league. He's won 94 and 95, and his team in 96 is ridiculously good. He's got uh, Clemens, Maddox, and Smoltz in his pitching staff. And Juan Gonzalez just hit 20 home runs in a month. So Jim's team has like 210 home runs that were just done with July. So he's really good. The point is, if we played an active fantasy league, Jim would probably win it. I think so. Play the retro league, Jim wins it. So I think we've had 14 years of that league, and Jim's been in the final seven times and won four. Something ridiculous like that. So answer is Jim Callis. <laughs> so getting back to the regular question, though, Alex Gordon, Ben, what's uh, – Take on Alex Gordon. He had he really did have a disappointing rookie year. I uh, didn't let it get him. He, he didn't bury himself though when he was hitting 190 in June. He didn't. He was able to rally in the second half. What do you think his career is going to turn out like? I think certainly after last season, you have to you do have to knock him down a little bit. After, I think after so. Last season, there's no doubt about that. I mean, you look back in the the evaluations that every, everyone really was making for Alex Gordon. I don't think there was any reason not to think that he was going to be a, a great player. And I still think he's going to be. A good player, uh, how good he turns out to be, I think this season will certainly uh, be a greater indication of that once we see another you know, 600 or so at-bats out of him this year to try to figure out you know, what, is, what is his career trajectory going to be. I think, he, I think he can still be an above-average player, but I think, I don't know if this is kind of a cop-out answer, but I think this year is just going to tell us more about, about what we're going to see out of Alex Gordon. I agree. He showed the ability to make adjustments. He figured out what he was doing wrong. Right. He got better as the year went on. But that level of the second half is not supposed to be his peak. You know, that's not supposed to be – that's not really good enough to, if he's going to be eventually be a multi-time all-star. And that's really what we were talking about. When we're talking about George Brett, that got put on him by people in Kansas City. That's not really fair to him. But you're playing third base for that franchise, it's going to happen. You have to, you have to live with that. But uh, I did think he was going to be like an Eric Chavez kind of career. And even Eric Chavez hasn't lived up to what we thought – Eric Chavez would be, mainly because of injuries. But, uh, you know, at his peak, Eric Chavez was like 280, uh, you know, like a 370 on base and a 500 slugging. 
I think Alex Gordon could do that, maybe even be a little bit better. He probably should be a little bit better than that, um, especially playing in Kansas City in that ballpark. But uh, he, I think you, you definitely have to temper your enthusiasm for him. I, I think expecting him to be a multi-time All-Star, to be a one of the game's elite third baseman right now, he's clearly behind like a peer like Ryan Zimmerman. But, you know, I, I, saw, I always pair those guys in my head because they were on USA national team together in 2004. And I remember the first day they showed up, and I'm like, wow, Zimmerman's at third and Gordon's at first. That's, that's interesting. And then Zimmerman clearly outplayed him the entire summer. But then when push came to shove in the, in the international the FISU championships, this world championship tournament for college-age players, Alex Gordon was the best player on the field. He was their dominant number three hole hitter, um, and he rose to that occasion. It took him a while to adjust, but he did adjust. In fact, the first time they were in Durham that summer, he couldn't square a ball up, and he was getting his bat broken left and right. By the end of the summer, he figured it out. So my experience, my track record with Alex Gordon is that eventually he will figure it out, but it's the most difficult level to figure it out at the major league level. So I do think you have to temper your enthusiasm, but when you really think about it on the big picture, me thinking over his career, I think he will figure it out, and I think he will still be a star. So thanks for the questions. Uh, podcast at BaseballAmerica.com is the email address. And let's wrap up the show by talking about international already, uh, Ben, uh, well, going out in Taiwan, uh, it's a great segue for Matt Gordon having one out there to another uh, tournament, international tournament going on in Taiwan right now that you blogged about today at BaseballAmerica.com. That's the opening of this Olympic qualifying tournament in Taiwan. Canada, Mexico, Germany, the Netherlands. No, it's not the Netherlands. Uh, Germany, South Africa, South Korea, Australia. And who's team number eight? Did you say Spain? I did not say Spain. That's there the other team. Spain is team number eight. Are out there, and so it's the top three clubs from this tournament. The top three finishers will qualify for the 2008 Olympics. And uh, action started today. Australia beating my uh, personal cheese ball, Tim Henken Johan of Germany. I have a soft spot for Tim Henken Johan despite his inability to throw strikes. Right. Yeah, he's got a he's got a good fastball, but he has a lot of control problems still at this age. He's a former Twins farmhand, but uh, you know he, he pitched okay. A little wildness uh, let up. Obviously, four runs uh, in his six innings, but Australia uh, ended up beating Germany four to one. I think Australia is probably uh, one of the better teams in this tournament, uh, along with uh, Taiwan, South Korea, uh, and Canada, as as well. In this tournament, should be uh, should be pretty good. This yeah, is Canada sent a good roster. They sent a, for them uh, mm-hmm. for this time of year with the timing being difficult. They sent a pretty solid roster with the immortal Stubby Clap back on the roster. Right, I think the timing, for, especially for a team like Australia and for Canada, which normally would rely on major league players, right? Uh, for 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 these international tournaments, it kind of it's, it's unfortunate for these teams because a lot of their pl- their best players right now are in major league spring training, and even the guys who are like double A or high A players for these clubs are like a Ryan Roland Smith, a triple A guy, and he's battling for a big league job. You really can't. Expect that guy to leave for 10, 15 days and, uh, you know, go to Taiwan and then come back and win a big league job. It's just too much to expect that guy to give up. Right. So these guys who are on 40 man rosters, the team just aren't going to give them up. On the other hand, there are some interesting prospects, obviously, for our Baseball America readers. Uh, Nick Weglars is in the tournament. That's a good one. Mike Saunders as well. His teammate uh, had a hit, a couple RBIs uh, today, earlier. So, you know, there are some interesting prospects here to follow. Yeah, like Liam, Liam, Hen- Liam Hendricks and uh, Brad Tippett, a couple of right-handers out of the Twins organization on the Australian team. Um, I'm always interested in Brendan Wise just because I don't, I don't know why Brendan Wise came to the United States, 
played junior college ball and then got drafted by the Tigers. He's actually the mm-hmm. highest drafted Australian ever. He was an eighth-round pick a couple of years ago by the Tigers. So I did the Tigers top ten that year. That's why I know about Brendan Wise. But uh, and, and so in the, in the first uh, game, and then you, you have this you – know, these are the kind of events also where you end up going back, and these are pretty well scouted by big league clubs now. I got to guess that the, the South African uh, pitcher that you talked about, the 20-year-old pitcher for South Africa – uh, not South Africa, South Korea, Kyun Jin Ru. Uh, he might be interesting. A, a guy who in 2006 was a rookie of the year and MVP in the Korean baseball organization. This must be a, an interesting guy to watch. Uh, maybe he's the next import from Korea who comes to the United States and uh, you know, makes an impact uh, professionally here because certainly some of the Korean players that have come over have also been a little underwhelming. Hesop Choi being the biggest example. You know, Byung-Kyung Kim is really known more for what he did poorly than what he did well. He's known more for, like, flipping the bird to the Diamondbacks fans and get up those home runs to the Yankees uh, than he is for helping the Diamondbacks get to the World Series in the first place. Right. Uh, these these events are certainly well scattered, like you said, John. Certainly some teams are having a, a better presence over there uh, than others. But right, certainly he looks like one of those guys... You know, we don't have it. We don't have too much in depth right now on, on his stuff. But right. after these events, you know, we get more information on them. The teams have more information on them, and you learn whether these is this is a guy who is he succeeding because he uh, has good stuff and and he's just he's just a good pitcher, or is he just kind of working backwards off some of his off speed pitches, right. deceptive delivery, just trying to fool some of these guys. But obviously, what he did, winning Rookie of the Year and MVP in the same season. Uh, certainly impressive. Yeah, and doing it at a young age yeah. relative to his uh, peers in Korea is pretty impressive. So uh, these are events that, you know, really nobody seems to pay attention to but us, and I like that we pay attention to them. And, you know, I'll never forget with Young Kyung Kim just to wrap up the show and going into my personal wayback machine, as I want to do. But uh, pitching against USA team in 98, the college team, uh, Ron Polk was the coach of that team, and Willie Bloomquist, now the Mariners, was on that team. And both those guys talking about how Byung-Kyung Kim made them feel like little leaguers, made their team look ridiculous. And basically three months later, he got a seven-figure bonus from the Diamondbacks, who apparently saw the same thing. And, I mean, he made it to the big leagues two and a half years later. So uh, these tournaments are do bear watching because there are – it's baseball news you can't get anywhere else, number one. And number two, a lot of these guys do end up in the big leagues uh, long term. So uh, we'll be updating that, especially next week, especially when they get down to the medal round let you know who the top performers were, but also who qualified for the 2008 Olympics. So great work on the international stuff, Ben. We hope you guys enjoyed the international podcast. And again, send those questions in for next week at podcast at baseballamerica.com. Until then, so long, everybody.